Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts Formula One, sports car and endurance racing Rallying, touring cars and bikes If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score It's on Midweek Motorsport Hello everybody, just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday night, it's Midweek Motorsports live from Hindhoff Towers, I'm John Hindhoff, Series 11 episode 39, big show tonight, up in London, our executive producer Tim Gray, good evening Tim. Good evening John. And on a packed show tonight, we have what? We have all the usual features, uh, news, uh, we have some... Well, just like it said uh, in that intro, we've got um, we've got uh, sports cars, we've got Formula One, <laughs> we've got rallying, we've got NASCAR. Um, so all the usual features. Uh, all of our usual contributors. We'll be hearing from uh, Marshall, right. from Graham, and from Nick at various points during the evening. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Not being a massive news week to w- this week, I'm not sure how we'll fill it all, but I tell you what, play the news jingle anyway. Okay, here goes. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Well, there is absolutely only one story that we can start Midweek Motorsport with tonight, and it uh, requires the editor of dailysportscar.com. Graham Goodwin to be on the line with us. Uh, hello, Graham. Evening, John. What a sad day. 18 years, end of an era. And, and that's an oft-used phrase, but we are really talking in endurance racing and sports car terms about the end of an era with Audi Sport Team Yost not being part of the World Endurance Championship all among next year. Barely thought I'd ever have to say those words. Well, I mean... <sighs> There's so many ways you can put this thing out of context, John. The one that um, I'm going to choose to to offer here is that I'm not thought of as one of the youngest people in the WEC uh, press room. And I've never written uh, professionally about a Le Mans where Audi weren't actually racing Mm. and are usually winning. And uh, it's very sad. You know, we understand some of the reasons behind it. There will no doubt be other corporate machinations involved here. But ultimately, what matters and what matters to the listeners here tonight is that uh, after Bahrain this year, we will not be seeing Audi LMP1s on the grid for the FIWEC uh, unless something pretty dramatic happens. Um, And that doesn't appear to be in any way on the horizon. And that's a very sad thing. The rumours of Audi potentially stepping away have always been around for the last 17 years, in fact, since they first came in. They were growing louder. I think the surprise to some people will be that at the board meeting this morning, uh, around about uh, 11 o'clock UK time, that the decision was made to stop 
immediately at the end of of this season. They've got a car that could have competed in, in next year. They've got a car that is, frankly, competitive. They haven't had the results, but it no, is competitive. It's the fastest car in the WEC at the moment. There's no doubt, I think, about that. And, you know, it's the, you know, it is, the for the moment at least, the last of the line, the last of the line that's seen 185 races in Audi Sports Le Mans prototype programme. They won 106 of those so far, 80 pole positions, 94 fastest laps. You know, two WEC World Championships uh, with the with effectively what is the current uh, the current technology, and John, uh, something very much close to your heart and uh, and the team you have over in the United States, nine consecutive ALMS yeah. championships. Yeah. Uh, that, that's before we get into record-breaking runs at Sebring and Petit Le Mans. Um, it's been an epic, epic run, and it's been a pleasure to watch them do those things and mature as a team together to the point where we can say that they have absolutely embodied the spirit of sports car racing. And, you know, they've done it in a way that others have struggled to match on and off the track. And, uh, you know, we've been saying we're afraid for a couple of uh, races this year that it's not been very Audi. And you, you sort of have to wonder whether or not, you know, the powers that be within sort of seen this one coming. The results that could, should have come there where Mexico, Corta and, and Fuji, I'm hearing would have been too little too late. The decision was pretty much already made. How much of that do you put at the door of the Audis using diesel power, which has fallen massively out of favour? Ironically, actually, the news coming today that the VW Group has reached... A, an agreement with the United States uh, about compensation and fines to be paid um, for that that uh, issue that they had over there. But how much has that been a reminder, do you think, and therefore become untenable in the terms of Audi and Audi's Le Mans effort being so inextricably linked to diesel in the last few years? Let me answer that in two ways, John. I think clearly Dieselgate has been a massive financial hit and a massive embarrassment as it should be to Volkswagen Audi Group. Pretty disgraceful stuff. I'm sure they're not, well, we know they're not the only ones. Mm. Um, the bigger issue, though, is, of course, that the the continuation of an Audi versus Porsche battle in the WEC um, was, uh, it was necessary for them to have different technologies to bring to the table. And the reality is, at the moment, the only two that are available to them competitively are diesel and petrol, with diesel not being an option for Audi, because the reality is, whether or not VW Gate uh, predicated this, or whether or not, um, as most people believe, it was on its way out anyway in terms of efficiency, the day of diesel is 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 near. You know, well, the we regulations are, are going to change in 2018, well, and frankly, I mean, diesel won't work. Well, beyond that, John, I mean, in terms of road car usage, we're going to start to see electrification increasing and things like diesel becoming a less efficient option for them. So that's number one. I'll give you one faint glimmer of hope here. The the uh, statement that actually comes out from Audi talks about them refocusing on Formula E. That's frankly nonsense. That's not um, that's not the decision that has been made. They've not decided to Formula E instead of WEC. I'm afraid that's corporate speak. And, and I'm, I'm well, and that decision had already been made absolutely. and had been made some time ago. Uh, Rupert Stadler, who's the chairman, has also said that nobody's going to lose their job and 300 people Good. aren't going to be kept kept busy doing 
Formula E, even if they have to have two cars per race. Which brings me to the flicker of hope, which is if you are putting all your eggs into the basket for electrification, if you are going to Formula E and developing the technologies to win there, um, we do know, don't we, that there are new rule sets coming, not next year, not the year after, but uh, you know, in the future, uh, that might well see uh, rather more electrification in the uh, in the FIWC and at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Is the story over? Well, for now, absolutely, this is a full stop. But you have to say that if they are keen on relaunching the brand with new technologies, and they've talked about electrifying uh, the brand, that perhaps this might be the start of a new era some years down the line, and maybe we will see our friends uh, from from Audi Sport back in the uh, in the um, the limelight in sports car racing in a few years' time. Uh, is there any hope on the horizon that somebody is ready to step in and replace? When we lost Peugeot rather quickly from then the inaugural year of the FIA World Endurance Championship, Toyota were able to put their programme in fast forward and get a couple of cars on, on the grid. Um, at the moment, we're looking at five probably up until Le Mans next year and then four after that in terms of P1 hybrids. Is there anybody in the wings who could step up? Is there any hope that in 18, when the regs change, there's another manufacturer to add to what is, frankly, going to look like a very, very poor grid at the front of the the, the field of a world championship? Well, an awful lot more weight is going to fall on the shoulders of the new P2 uh, grid, for starters, which does look like it's reasonably healthy. In terms of factory entries, look, Peugeot are looking. Peugeot needs some solid decisions to be taken. And let's face it, they've just got the winning hand in those negotiations right here, right now. Um, I can tell you that definitely Renault is no. I spoke to Renault over the weekend, and that's definitely not on the immediate horizon for them. Peugeot, we know, are keen. BMW, some little way down the line. Uh, Is the cavalry coming for 2017? Absolutely not. Might it make it in 2018? That's an outside possibility. I think we're at 19 or 20 before we see more factory teams uh, coming to the the fray. Uh, There's lots of things that could happen, John, whether or not they will happen. We're just going to have to wait and see. But for now, uh, it's, you know, it's it's a sad day for everybody who likes people going racing the proper way. Throw this in as a curveball. Um, Forget about Volkswagen Audi Group. Um, Talk about Audi Group, because within VAG, Audi is a group. It has Ducati. uh, It has effectively Bentley. And it has also um, Lamborghini under its wing. Uh, is is there any opportunity for, not Ducati, but one of those other two car brands, or indeed broadening it out to VAG, uh, another brand, a, a Bugatti or something like that, to come in? Are we? Am I clutching at straws to say that there's an opportunity for another brand from that group to come in and use the opportunity of, Audi leaving to use the different technology, i.e. not diesel, to be able to come in and fill the void. Uh, well, I guess the question you have to ask is what technology is going to be uh, is going to be competitive quickly enough to make a difference. Clearly, you're not going to get a Bentley or a Lamborghini diesel. We believe Lamborghini are developing a GTE program for the next two or three years, so that one takes them out of the reckoning. Bentley, yes, would like to win races overall. There's no sign that Bentley is the chosen brand against Porsche, and you know, it's it's. I don't think there's a program there to be had at the moment, John, mm. um, at that kind of level. Clutching at straws 
was, including uh, names like Lena Gade. That has never been on the horizon no. for Bentley. Not linked. That's not what I th- no, that's not what we're, uh, we're expecting. My guess is you've got, well, you're going to have to hope, aren't you, that uh, the Porsches and the Toyotas were as competitive as they were at Fuji for a good long time for this to be as exciting and as involved as we've seen for the last few years. Is it a blow to the World Endurance Championship? Le Mans forget Le Mans and I don't mean that in a bad way I mean it in a positive way Le Mans is always Le Mans there's plenty of stories at Le Mans there's 60 cars but it is a blow for Gerard Nouveau in the World Endurance Championship isn't it? Yes, it is. It's a blow commercially, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, that clearly Audi's a manufacturer making contributions there. It's a blow in terms of the show, because uh, we've seen at times it be a Porsche and Toyota show, at times a Porsche and Audi show, at times an Audi and Toyota show. Mm. Um, and if you remove one of those elements, then inevitably at some tracks, on some days, it's going to be a little less dramatic than we've actually seen. No doubt this is a blow. Uh, what's going to be interesting is how the FIWEC, the FIA for that matter, and the ACO respond to this. They've had enough warnings that it might well be a possibility. Graham, uh, we'll get you back on later on to do uh, a little bit of a roundup of the other things, but clearly that's the uh, the top story. Uh, before I let you go in, in this part of the show, what's your abiding memory of Audi Sport Team Joost and their endurance racing career spread over the, the last extraordinary 18 years? It's, you know what? Um, I've been there for all well, all of their Le Mans wins. Uh, I've been there for very many of their Sebring and Petit Le Mans wins. Uh, but it's not a win that actually is the abiding memory for me. The abiding memory for me is when they were beaten in 2009 and what happened thereafter, after there'd been some, some niggle between Peugeot and between, mm. uh, between Audi, and there we saw on live TV, as the Peugeot team were celebrating that win, the people standing at the garage door were the Audi team, um, Yoast, uh, the early sport team Yoast, uh, senior management standing applauding their opposition. That's what Audi has meant to their sport. They've, they've stayed classy. They've put the sport back into sports car. Yeah, brilliant stuff, Graham. I will speak to you again a bit later on. Nick Damon is with me digesting that news yep. from Gooders. Uh, well done to Eve, by the way, getting across that the, mm. the earliest this morning. Well, you've been to Le Mans a few times. I've never been to Le Mans without Audi. I mean, admittedly, I only started in 2007 as a relative newcomer. But every every top-level endurance race I've been to has Audi in it. But, uh, um, yeah, a massive surprise. My, I'm, I'm not particularly surprised they, that, that they have eventually pulled out. I, I was very much with the concept they were putting out at the end of next year with the changing regulations. I, I've struggled to find the point of, of, of abandoning a programme that's already mostly paid for with a year to run. Well, this is the Peugeot uh, syndrome, isn't it? Mm. They had paid for it they'd paid all the drivers are going to have to be paid mm-hmm. uh, i would expect team yours will have to be paid yep and you've got the car the car is clearly competitive it's the fastest car on the grid as graham was saying yeah i mean that of the of, you know obviously there is a, a operational saving and they won't do the development won't build cars so yes they're going to save 50 60 million euros but that's just a drop in the ocean you know that, that's that's about two days of payments on uh, dieselgate isn't it really but uh, yeah it's very disappointing i mean i think yeah you can't overestimate what they've done for endurance world endurance championship what they've done for endurance sports car racing effectively single-handedly holding up for about five or six years in the beginning of the zeros uh, as the only major factory team um but they've kind of left in a disingenuous way with this concept that they're going to abandon their 300 million approximate euro investment and go and do formula e a spec series where if you spend 10 million euros you've spent far too much i mean it, it doesn't make any sense it's a, it's but, but they'd already committed to that second yeah. of september the press release came out 
and they said we're boosting our involvement in Very Formula good. E. <laughs> And that was their words. I've, and I, I know that because I've just gone back in this How evening. How much they're being charged? Hey. <laughs> uh, they're boosting their involvement in Formula E. They'd been a partner of the ABD team. It was now coming under Audi Sport. But, and I quote, Audi saying it would not impact any of their current programmes. No, I, I think, yeah, the, I think that you, you, yeah, Graham and, has, has alluded to this and something you, you said to me off air is that from being the coming thing diesel is now you know persona non grata you know it's the it's the uh yeah it, it just is something you don't want to get involved in in, in motorsport it, it's it's got a, a limited lifespan in a number of ways because of the emissions you know i'm sure it'll be still be a, a popular choice in road cars 15 15 years or so but as far as how well considering that you get 15 to 20 percent better on your fuel mileage mm. and particularly in mainland Europe the fuel is, is 15 to 20 percent yeah. cheaper but you know I think I think that the, the, you know, with the emergence of turbos within petrol engines which has certainly improved their efficiency and also of course the the hybridization and we're all going to, we're all going to be driving some form of hybridization in five or six years time as it gradually improves and they improve energy density and there's still some very clever things being done with with electricity none of those actually because being replicated in Formula E by the way um, which is just some some old batteries stuck in a in a Formula Three, uh, sorry, a Formula uh, IndyCar. IndyCar, yeah. Um, but it that's not to say it's not good racing. No, it's we've no, talked no, that before. No, no, it's fine. But I think it's very it is it is a sad day for all of us who've had the privilege of working with and for and beside Audi, Audi Sport Team Yost, uh, Ralph Jutner, Dr Ulrich, the drivers. They've always been incredibly professional. They've always been very helpful for us for for a major works team. And, you know, they will be sorely missed. Um, Twitter was pretty much broken already today. It's gone bonkers again now. At Specutainment, at Radio Le Mans. The big question, I can't mention everybody. Uh, Very few apologies for absence tonight. (laughs) A lot of people are tuning in live, and thank you for that. Without having to go through all of them, the big things to talk about then are Joost and the drivers. Well... Interestingly, Yurst have been recruiting lately. Yeah, I mean the the, the, the press says that no one of the 300 employees will of not Audi Sport. Audi Sport will not have a job, though I would think that they will only be able to redeploy about nine of those, and the other 291 will be cleaning the windows, uh, disassembling well, and reassembling engines. Well, unless they're doing something engines. else. Yeah, but don't forget, Audi Sport encompasses everything that Audi does. Yeah, the TT um, Challenge Cup and that sort of thing. Well, you've got the TT Cup, you've got R8 LMS Cup in Asia, uh, the build cars for that, the build cars for the TT Cup, DTM, DTM, custom, Rally Cross, Customer Sport, and Customer Sport. Mm. All of that is out of but I would Audi Sport, the, the as top, well as Formula the top E. Top engineers and the top development guys and the people who worked on the uh, you know the the real development of the uh, R18 are going to get poached very quickly by other manufacturers, by F1 teams, by the people who want that knowledge, the aero knowledge. And Unless they're already doing something else. But Yours, what else but is to do? I said specifically Yours there, not Audi Sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stadler today said there would be no redundancies, nobody would lose their job within Audi Sport. Yost is inextricably linked over the last decade and a half or so mm-hmm. with Audi Sport, but it isn't Audi Sport. No. They had a life before Audi Sport, actually ran Porsches and other things. Yeah. They will have a life after it. There's potential there for them to go and run something else. And in in fact, latterly, the top engineers have 
being employed by Audi Sport or by Yost directly rather than third parties as they were when Howden Haynes and Lena uh, were yeah. working for um, Dave Ward and, and effectively um, being contracted in by Progressive. Yeah. Um, I think Yost have already got something else, if I'm honest. Um, I also think Audi have already got something else, if I'm honest. But it has to be petrol yes. hybrid. Well, yes, yeah, so it has to be petrol hybrid. Um, there's only one other petrol hybrid uh, championship I can think of, and they won't be going into that because it's too expensive. Mm. Um, so you've got F1, and that's it. But um, whether they, what they'll look to do, it's 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 interesting. It's a, it's a strange it's a strange timing, but not a strange decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's 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 disappointing in the short term um, with WEC dropping to four manufacturer cars and four or five at Le Mans. Right, well, um, it will be, I think it will be five at the start of the season, up to and including Le Mans, because I'm pretty certain that Toyota will run three cars at Silverstone, Spa and Le Mans. Yeah. The well, opportunity... good drivers available now. Well, if Porsche want a driver, then Andre Lotter is the man to go for. Yeah, I think Nick Tandy didn't like this news today, did he? No, <laughs> I absolutely agree. Um, Porsche have the opportunity to go to three cars as well. There's no reason why they can't now. No, but not for the whole season, just for the mom. I think it'll depend what Toyota do, and I think there'll be calls going in even as we speak, in, in, if in fact that hasn't already mm. ha- happened. Um, the other questions that are coming in mm-hmm. obviously include the drivers. Yep. Um, they're all contracted by Audi Sport, so they'll get paid whether they drive or not, in the same way as Harry Tinkle still getting paid by Nissan. Uh, despite the fact nice that he's job. driving for everybody else as well, but that they'll get paid, so they're not going to lose out. Uh, I also, and I tweeted this earlier today, this makes uh, this makes the WEC date at the Nurburgring that clashes with Formula E. I think it is almost inevitable now that that date will not change. So it's just bad news for Sebastian, Sebastian Boemi then. Correct. Tim Gray is up in London. We'll do some more tweets in a moment. Uh, well, first of all, on the Boemi point, he will already have sewn up the title by then, so it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> Very good. Drivers, mm-hmm. is there a possibility that Audi might force them to sit and do nothing all year if they're still under contract? Well, I think they'd be probably not so pleased about them going and driving for Toyota, but I can see if they're going to get borrowed by Porsche, because Audi borrowed Porsche drivers before. There yeah. was a precedent for that, exactly, with Roman Dumas and, and Timor. Yeah, so I mean, it's a, that that would seem very uh, churlish. Yes, I can see they're blocking him running for Toyota could be a possibility, but I can't see them blocking him running for Porsche. Uh, sorry. Um, so, yours to the drivers, that's one big thing that you're tweeting in about uh, at the moment. The... Uh, third cars, we've talked about that. Is this going to affect the R8 LMS program and customer sport at all? No, because no. they make money out of it. Because they've, the they've sold everyone they've got. And in fact, it may uh, you may see some of the drivers that we've talked about being loaned out to private teams and popping up in customer sport activity. Yeah, I, mean, I think yeah, certainly Oli Jarvis has got a lot of experience in that. I'm sure he'll go back to doing that. Um, so Lucas Grassi and Loic are doing Formula E, so they've got something else. But it's really what uh, Benoit... Uh, Andre and Marcel Fasler do. Uh, Sarah Rigby asks a question that nobody else has. Everybody else is asking similar questions. Will Audi Sport still take part in the rookie test at Bahrain with Antonio Giovinazzi testing the R18? As far as I know, yes, mm. they will. 
Um, I, 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 it means you could be the last person to drive one of those cars. It, it, <laughs> it could be. It could be that. Um, the other question is is about other, and we and we touched on this with Graham. Other manufacturers coming in. We've said on this program before mm-hmm. that BMW have put half a billion euros, or sorry, depends what you call a billion, 500 million euros aside in their budget to develop an LMP1 concept. We expect to see that car at or around the change of regulations in 2018. It's probably hydrogen hybrid, which would require, would require a change of regs. But those changes of regs are coming. If you saw Gerard Nouveau's tweets today, he talks about hydrogen hybrids. Graham is sceptical that there's anybody else out there. But we know that Honda's already run a car Mm -hmm. with current technology within it. Uh, What's your feelings on, on... what you know um i think you know the the, the changes they come it, it, it comes at the, the 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 break of regulations there's no point coming in now there's new set regulation in 2018 whether i'll put a good enough hook out to get some more manufacturers i don't know i think obviously one of the issues is the amount of money that's been spent in uh, lmp1 uh means that people who be launching at f1 are launching no less at lmp1 but the thing mm. i think everyone needs to remember is that the sheer amount of time that audi has stayed in uh, lmp1 or in is 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 the is the exception and not the rule. It's just a real surprise. You know, the only manufacturer in any major series who you can guarantee will always be there is Ferrari and F1. Mm. No one else will be. Mercedes will not always be in F1. F- Mercedes mm. will, will drop out of F1, maybe in three years, maybe in five years, maybe in seven years, but they will decide it's not what their marketing needs and they'll drop out and someone else will replace them. And you know, that's what happens. It's, it's, it's manufacturers. It's, it, they are not racing to make us feel happy that they do what they're actually doing is trying to market their machines and market their cars and in Audi's case they started off wanting to market TFSI engines then they wanted to market clean diesel and as clean diesel now is unmarketable you stop spending the money marketing it. Tim? You see a lot of car manufacturers doing multiple programs for that short term marketing gain but Audi's been doing it so long that there is no it's not a short term program and they can't use the excuse that um, the inc- the accelerating increase of sales um, has stopped because actually driven by um, sports cars um, that would have stopped a while ago, wouldn't it? After 18 years. Yeah, but I think they also found it was a, it was a program that was working particularly well for them, and, and and I suppose you get the point where sometimes you can market yourself by just being particularly good at being there, you know. Some and and of course they most recently in the years when they might have got a bit wobbly in the last what five or six years, they've actually had some real competition to try and race. Um, well, that's the other thing, isn't it? That any new team that was looking at LMP1, whereas before they were looking at it and thinking there's three other teams we've got to beat, now there's only two other that teams they've got point. to beat. That, that is makes a very it much more attractive. Too. And well, you, look at, you look at a lot of championships, two or three real manufacturers in there is all that they can sustain. That's you need. Well, yes, and and you make a good point there, Tim, because Audi has often frightened off as many people into with, with their huge spend, has probably frightened off as many people as it's attracted into the WEC. Listen, don't get me wrong, Audi have been the defining force within endurance racing for nearly two decades. Let's 
put that on and the table. And let's also say something. They've dragged up the quality of everyone else. Massively. They've made every you know the you don't get someone turning up with a car that came off the back of a you know a, a, a either either Thomas trailer anymore. Everyone, even the person in L, in GTM, is seven levels more professional than they were when I started doing this ten years ago. So goodness knows how many professional were you thirty Nick, years ago? In, in 1989, you saw cars turning up at Le Mans that you'd never seen all season, and some of which hadn't run all season and then didn't run more than a handful of laps at Le Mans. So you're absolutely right there. Let's celebrate. Let's All right, we, we're clearly, as a lot of people, uh, and they've been, Audi and various guises have been a fantastic partner to what we do at Le Mans and, and further. In fact, I'll go so far as to say that without Audi uh, UK in particular, but also Audi AG, there would be no... Radio Le Mans at Le Mans as it is now because they were the people who first signed up back at the end of 2005 and the beginning of 2006 when we formed Radio Shore Limited to ensure the longevity of the service at the track. But I think Tim's point is a very, very good one that it gives somebody the opportunity, particularly with the failure rates actually going up again at the sharp end of the field because everyone is pushing so hard it gives someone a real chance with four or five or six cars in the top category only perhaps at Le Mans gives you a chance of a podium doesn't it yeah, I mean, uh, as I said, with the new regulation 18, perhaps someone who was umming and ahhing has now got 15 months after a green light to actually put the car out there mm. um, you know it's um it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's 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 it is. I think Tim's made a good point. It is a challenge and it's an opportunity as well. These are things op- you know, do become opportunities. It's a huge chance. Audi's Audi's halo of invincibility was slipping slightly, which I think is encouraging a lot of people. And now they've gone. As you say, there's, there, are, there are positions about plenty in the points. Right, going back to what people are asking about R8 GT3 TTs, no change whatsoever to that. Audi Sport continues to support it through their customer racing divisions GT3 could Joost come to Le Mans with GT3 no they can't because GT3 isn't eligible quite correctly for Le Mans it's not the right type of car to take to Le Mans that is a private year national possibly regional series it's not an international formula never was designed as such and we've seen haven't we what happens when the factory teams get involved in things like the Nürburgring 24 the Spa 24 and unforgivably things like the Blancpain series where they shouldn't be involved at all I'm afraid but they shouldn't and costs have spiralled out of control and actually taken the private ears out of it where that was where GT3 was designed for so no you won't see GT3s uh, there uh, what will happen with privateers at Le Mans that's a question that is uh, uh, that is another question that comes on well Rebellion have already gone Will they reconsider? I think not. Not unless Audi Sport decide to give them three cars and (laughs) £250 to run them. Um, Bart Hayden is going to LMP2, the new global LMP2, uh, next year. Uh, Questions, questions, questions. Um, Do you think Audi will allow someone to pick up Joost? Joost is a private and independent company. It's not owned by Audi as Manti now is owned by Porsche. So... Reinhold Joost hiring people I'll stress that again in the last few weeks hiring people into the organisation there's something else going on with Joost and as I said to Graham Nick I would not rule out 
a return to endurance racing by Audi as a brand with technology that more fits their marketing and the group's marketing, VAG's marketing portfolio and onward plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, I mean, Let's be honest, Diesel is an albatross around their neck at the moment. Yes. To the point where, effectively, Audi have stopped selling diesel cars in the States. They haven't said that, but you go and try and buy one. I've been told that they've been crushing cars rather than selling them if they've got a diesel engine in. And not just the two litres that they've had the problems with. Also, the very, very efficient and lovely three-litre turbo diesels that you and I both run on a day-to-day basis. I, I think if they were to come back, they would have to come back with a petrol stroke hybrid solution. Yeah, so what they really need to do is buy Sauber. Sauber would go to Le Mans? Well, no, I'm just saying what they really need to do, they want to run a petrol hybrid at a high level of competition, just buy Sauber. But that doesn't push their technology forward because that's a spec series again. Yeah, but that's, that's like F, F uh, Formula but E, but, but just more expensive. Mm, yeah, but of course there's a lot more freedom in engine manufacturing next year. You in Formula token, One. Tokens have gone. Do what you like. I still think that Formula One and Audi just no, aren't the I, fit. I, I, I agree. But, um, and I don't think it will happen uh, because it would be completely un- unrealistic to try and say we're going to do this and then turn around and, and, and commit to 800 million euros of spending. Um, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see what they do. Um, it'd be a fallow couple of years if they're keeping the people on there. I'm sure, I'm sure there is some form of plan. Uh, whether it's a plan we, 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 we particularly like, I don't know. But it's that certainly uh, it's a good plan. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and of course they've got other things they're trying to do. They've got DTM and then there's this Rallycross thing as well. Rallycross, Tim? Well, at the moment, the Rallycross is all handled uh, privately by um, EKS Sport, which is Matthias Ekstrom's uh, organisation. But it was mentioned specifically by Herr Stadler in the release today. Over the last few months, there have been a lot of noises coming from Audi or from Xtrom that Audi Sport wants to be more involved in that, uh, with a view to there being, in the future, an electric, not hybrid, an electric rallycross championship. Well, that'd be great. That, yeah. that suits. I've I've been doing electric rallycross sort of thing. But, but, but think about it. That's not bad because the race is what four and a half minutes to throw. Um, or, you know, it's about power full and electric. acceleration. Full electric, you do it quite easily. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely agree. Let's bring in. Uh, let's bring in Marshall Pruitt from uh, Racer dot com. Evening, Marshall. Oh, hang on a second. Let's uh, just make sure that we've got him there. Hello, Marshall. Can you hear us? Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Perfect. Um, I'll talk to you about potential for Audi in other marketplaces in a moment. But it's been a big part of your life at Le Mans as well. As I mean, most of us have... All right, I go back 10 years before uh, at Le Mans, before Audi was there. But Audi and Audi Sport with prototype cars, prototype 1 cars, call them what you will, prototype 900 cars, has been a part of your professional life as a motorsport journalist pretty much since you started. Yeah, that's uh, 100% correct, Heidi. I made the transition from the team side of motor racing over to the media side in about the middle of 2006, and uh, I remember it vividly uh, at Mossport 
when it was called Moss Sport with the uh, the Audi Sport team, our friends at Champion Racing. Uh, first, I believe my first professional interview uh, was with uh, Brad Kettler and good old Frankie, Frankie Bila, <laughs> uh, in their transporter in a rainy Moss Sport paddock. And uh, just built uh, great relationships and uh, immense friendships with the entire team uh, since that uh, point in 2006. And yeah, just a heavy day. I, again, I, I full full marks to uh, our our friend and WC Mar- uh, reporter Marcus Schierig for um, you know pointing out that this uh, yeah, he was definitely the first to uh, to warn the world that this might be happening. And you know, again, we for those who know Marcus absolute you know one of the finest journalists upstanding cat as well so good on him for a great reporting nonetheless yeah brother i mean this is uh i don't want to get maudlin or, or overstate things but this when we look at tenures when we look at uh investment and time uh, i was just I, I was quickly thinking about it this morning i mean you have uh you have ferrari and formula one you have Chevy and Ford and NASCAR. You have Corvette racing and GT competition. You have Honda and IndyCar. And you have Audi at Le Mans. If we're talking about marks that uh, staked their claim uh, and have really continued unbroken in their chosen form of motor racing. And again, I realize that there are others in other disciplines, but at least for the world that I tend to cover... When you lose one of those pillars, brother, I mean, mm-hmm. I, and I look at the WEC, and I know I'm not the first to say this, and it won't be the last, but, you know, we went through Peugeot's shock last-minute withdrawal uh, leading into the 2012 season. Thankfully, Toyota was able to step up and yep. provide some uh, competition ahead of ahead of their planned uh, entry, and so that, I think, actually set them back competitively. But I'd agree with that. Uh, we look at now, and yeah, there are three manufacturers. There were four last year with Nissan that that went away, but with Audi stepping out, you know, I see this as a stool, you know, a three-legged stool, and uh, you knock one of those legs out in these financial times. Uh, I don't know where. I hope we all hope the WEC is going to find another manufacturer to say yes. I have between 200 and 500 million dollars a year mm. I want to spend on a P1 hybrid program, but at least uh, from where I'm sitting here today, I, I, there aren't many, if any, that come to mind. So this this is huge, Heidi. Again, I'm, I'm telling you nothing you don't know, but no. this is trying to unwind or unstitch something that just envelops everything we do. And we have to celebrate the 18 years that we've had and recognize the impact, the positive impact that Audi Sport and Audi AG, because those two are inseparable. This is a sporting program that has been absolutely sweated. Into It helps that Vorsprung Dirk Technik, Forward Through Technology, is their tagline. That is something that they live by at Ingolstadt, now at the new Audi Sport headquarters, but through the streetcars and the racing cars, because quite frankly, an Audi prototype doesn't look like an A4 or an A6 or a TT, but the technology crossover is how Audi have sold it to their customers and potential customers, and their racing program has gone hand in hand with the renaissance of the streetcar line. So, given that Yoast aren't going away, and Audi Sport aren't going away, uh, is there something that Yoast could be doing for Audi, 
presuming that they're already paid up for at least another season. It, I doubt it would be a P1 diesel project because of the diesel moniker. Am I being completely bonkers to suggest that Yoast putting people, uh, advertising for new people, could possibly be the prelude to them doing something? I don't think it's the Huracan, uh, the... Um, Lamborghini GTE program which I think is already happening and in fact I know it's already happening so could Yoast be doing something else and could that be something as left field as a petrol engine DPI in, in IMSA I would hope so I can I would hope so but I, I can also tell you this having spoken to a friend uh in uh, Audi's technical center this morning, uh, he was having conversations with the uh, the Audi Sport. Keep in mind, integrated with uh, the Yoast team, uh, speaking with uh, colleagues in the hall yesterday, and the entire conversation was about the thrill coming off, how close the last WC race was, and how they could not wait to get you know, to, to board the next plane, to get going here in a matter of days, to go take the fight to uh, Porsche and Toyota, and just truly, wow, we've been, you know, busting our behinds. I think we're turning turning the page here. And that was yesterday. So just in terms of general mindset, this hasn't been a group that has known the axe was going to fall. I think there were plenty that feared it. But there was definitely there has not been a sense of resignation that I have heard. It's mm. coming. We're moving on to other things. Let's start thinking elsewhere. Uh, to to someone who is very well placed, told me that truly yesterday was about boy, the sun's coming out tomorrow, and we are just going to go truly uh, reclaim what is ours, you know, a top uh, P1. And this morning it was just everyone, you know. Uh, everyone with just staring at the floor unable to muster two two sentences so i say that and just to maybe provide some context of could audi do some other things could a team be uh, formed to do this out of the other in the sports car world of course they could does it sound like that has really been part of a strategy and formation plan uh, no anticipating the p1 program going away I don't think so. We know Audi are great at planning, but I think if those things were to happen, Heidi, I think those the real sit-down discussions, I doubt they've even taken place. So again, for looking to the future, could happen, but knowing the timeline of what it would take to ramp something up, it certainly pushes into 2018, if not longer. Uh, Nick Damon, uh, as well as Marshall Pruitt, Major Hindoff, and uh, Graham Goodwin will be back with us later. He's off writing something I would hear him tippity tapping away a moment or two ago uh, Tim Gray up in London as well it's Midweek Motorsport Series 11 episode 39 this is the one where Audi withdrew from the WEC at the end of this year that's what we'll be talking about for a, a little while more uh, the the interest for me gentlemen and I'll, and I'll bring MP and, and Nick in on this as I said to Graham right at the start of the programme Audi have the fastest car this year they did a pretty good job in the early part of the season. All right, there was a disqualification um, at the first round, right height infringement, but they did pretty well. Their speed has been undoubted, Nick, but they haven't been able to deliver a win. Now, I'll tell you now, I am absolutely certain, and this has come from a source within Audi, that whether or not they won at Fuji, the decision would have been the same 
and whether or not they'd won at quarter, the decision would have been the same at today's board meeting. Mexico, I don't know. That might have been far enough back to be able to have make a, a difference, but I'm not entirely sure about that. I think the writing has been on the wall before that. But ultimately, Nick, this is a competitive car that they're withdrawing from the series, and that, to me, is is very sad. Yeah, I think, uh, just to answer your, your previous statement, I, I don't believe that anything is about this is to do with anything about the success or failure of the individual season, because this is a um, almost an an ethical concept to move away from diesel and and, and decide there's not worth putting money into a diesel hybrid anymore it's not going to be it, it, they just don't want to be associated it's really a washing their hands of the dirty fuel because it, they don't want to be tainted <laughs> by its uh it's it's diesel gateness and, 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 and it's a, i suppose it's the first chance i had to do it in reaction diesel gate it's very very disappointing uh the car was great and the car was quick the car had some strange reliability issues and, and seemed to be quite hard to fix it's the sort of thing you think well they go over the week over the over the winter they'll sort out the stuff that took too long to mend They'll change all that, do an alley job, and come back and absolutely have all the speed, but all the operability. Is that word yet near enough? Uh, that they lacked a bit, I think, in the pits this year. So yeah, I mean, you certainly would have thought that going into the final year of a three-year phase, that the uh, the R18 would have been the favourite uh, for for next year because they were it was improving all the time, getting quicker, and they always say it's easy to make a fast car reliable and a reliable car fast. Marshall. Uh you know, everybody is hoping that this isn't the end, the end end, and everybody is looking for ways to get Audi straight back into competition. Um, we saw at Fuji a non-hybrid R18, that being as quick, if not quicker, than the LMP1 uh, privateer cars, uh, including having the disadvantage of running all the hybrid gear and the extra weight that that comes on. I'd have to check, but I'm not sure if diesel's allowed in LMP1L, but could Joost come back with a dumbed-down version of the R18 that runs without the hybrids? Is is that something that might float Audi's boat? I think it would be a massive shock, mate. Uh, at least for me, uh, and in everything I've written this morning and I continue to write for my clients, uh, this is not a sporting decision. This is a business decision writ large. Uh, not a coincidence that yesterday uh, we saw or read about a $15 billion um, dieselgate-related uh, vehicle buyback and penalties agreed to here in North America, and there are more fines coming in North America, and we know that there are more coming in Europe. Uh, knowing that yesterday uh, $15 billion, just call it fine or penalty, was levied, uh, was followed less than 24 hours later, uh, a decision by the board to cut its most expensive, rumored to mm. be half billion dollar a year motor racing program uh th you know th this is not something that requires a giant magnoscope uh or, or uh this isn't something that really requires uh, a massive amount of digging in to find hidden kernels i think this is going to will likely go down as one of the more straightforward decisions and and there's really two two aspects to it that one that i just mentioned or three i should say that one Secondly, the shame aspect, right? Not that, I don't know if we want to say that they are shamed, but the, hey, we just accepted that we have been, we have accepted and just accepted a big number uh, to demonstrate that we realize that we did something wrong. We 
probably shouldn't be flying in the face of that decision by racing uh, at the world's greatest event, uh, the most, the world's most everything motor racing uh, competition in something that most people know is wickedly expensive. The, the other aspect, third aspect, which uh, Nick hit upon, the ACO, FIA, they do a magnificent job using their EOT, the equivalency or equivalence of technology table. It might sound similar to BOP, and there are some general thematic ideas that are shared between the two, but where BOP is meant to take different cars and uh, attempt to balance them so they can compete uh, and achieve more or less the same lap time. EOT is, is different in P1, which doesn't have uh, BOP. It's meant to say, hey, you with your heavy diesel, turbo diesel engine, and hey, you with your light, you know, lighter than air V4 Porsche engine, uh, we're going to create an equivalence technology so you guys with things that weigh different, react different on the track, treat their tires different, consume fuel at different mm-hmm. rates. This is a way that you guys can go play and create something exciting, but the person with the best idea is probably going to win. Uh, the Porsche 919 pushed the EOT table and its abilities so far that it essentially exposed the inherent limitation of an extremely heavy turbo diesel engine mounted to the back of the R18. That's a good point. Uh, and as a result, and uh, although no one at Audi would say it, but they certainly have you know, uh, acknowledged it without saying it directly, uh, adhering to this diesel underpinning of their racing program at Le Mans and its promotional, the promotional aspect as well, it has outlived its competitive uh, lifespan. And not that it couldn't compete, but again, that 919 is so extreme in the opposite direction of small light, just incredible. It's shown that the EOT really can't keep the big heavy motor that kind of screws up the vehicular dynamics over multiple stints with the Audi in the game at every race over one lap in qualifying. And, you know, look, there are places where the Audi has had the measure of the other cars. But bottom line, for Audi to continue to compete and vie for wins on pure pace, nothing trickier, nothing special at Le Mans, uh, it has known that it would have to move away from that diesel. That brother, if they're already spending half a billion dollars a year to not win with a diesel, what would it cost to reimagine the entire racing program in the midst of Dieselgate? You smash those two together, it. you get the exit from LMP1. Yeah, when when the, the marketing side doesn't uh, help. This from Yoast Racing, by the way, and I'm reading directly from their press release. After 18 en- exciting and successful years at Yoast Racing's side, Audi has surprisingly announced its withdrawal from the WEC in Le Mans at the end of the 2016 season. This marks the end of an era in the field of sports car, which, not least, with 11 joint Le Mans wins, has written motorsport history. Uh, before the joint project in the WEC finally becomes history, there are two final races. Uh, how and where Joe's Racing will be involved in motorsport in the future uh, will be announced at the later date. Uh, the Odd World Racing team are exploring the market and searching for new motorsport challenges. So it would seem that the partnership has uh, has come to an end there. Marshall, before I let you go, Audi obviously have thrown uh, some weight now and will be throwing some not inconsiderable weight behind Formula E 
which doesn't have a uh, massive profile uh, in the US or, or, in t- or indeed anywhere, anywhere. <laughs> says Nick, thank you um, uh, down to a number of of, of things uh, which we, won't we bo- could say well we maybe don't know that maybe it has a massive following but those fans are just silent like the Tars <laughs> just kidding sorry yeah um, uh, what do they have to do in the states to make it relevant they've got a, a high profile event coming up at Brooklyn next year clashing with the um, WEC round at the Nürburgring ironically uh, there's a Vegas round coming up as well they tried Long Beach which didn't work because they looked dog slow on um, a racing circuit that we had uh, some field of reference towards what can Audi do what should they do if they're going to promote FA into the US marketplace I don't know if they need to do much that is different from what they've already been doing with its Le Mans program frankly I think that template the Vorsprung Dirch Technik I think that is perfect hey this is Audi has gone from the from being a purveyor of boring sedans to the brand most associated with sports car advancement, speed, excitement, you name it, through their Le Mans effort. Uh, if they do nothing other than apply their marketing and messaging approach uh, that has worked so well at Le Mans to its Formula E effort, hey, this is the place to be. These are the cars that are helping us build tomorrow's this, that, and the other. Speed is coming. Range is coming. We're defying everything that you thought we were or that uh, have been known conventions through our uh, investment and effort in this racing series. They're, I mean, they are, without a doubt, no disrespect to the other brands that have gotten in, the m- many brands that have gotten in before them, but they bring a legitimizing force to Formula E that it has never had. If they can apply their marketing might, you know, I would say probably far more than uh, the R&D investment that would be required, but actual just big dollars in the marketing side, uh, Formula E could have the one thing it has always lacked, which is blanket, uh, again, blanket legitimacy from a major brand that has a wonderful reputation for nothing but technology and motorsports. So, uh, you know, the other thing I would say, too, is uh, the one thing that Audi did better than I think maybe any other brand, at least in my lifetime at Le Mans, is say, hey, you might not know about this race here but it's really cool and if you come with us we're going to expose you to a whole new world and they've done that built uh, uh, millions and millions of fans if we're talking about truth in 24 mm. and what audi audi and nfl films have done to take folks inside how special the event is and i think of folks who had no clue about Le Mans, think about audi's efforts to bring them in and what we have today Imagine if they applied that same uh, initiative to Formula E. Hey, you probably don't know about this. You probably aren't a racing fan, but guess what? We are your vehicle to Formula E. Um, the folks at that championship must be uh, high, f- have sore hands from high-fiving themselves after today's announcement. Marshall, thanks very much indeed. Uh, the news from Audi rather overshadowing everything else this week we'll catch up next week uh, with some uh, US news but for the moment Marshall Pro from Racer.com thank you very much indeed for joining us tonight thanks brother MP there and uh, I mean just 
uh, I can't. Uh, I agree with pretty much everything uh, he said. A couple of people saying he makes good points about uh, Formula E. I mean, they have had some yep. massive manufacturers involved, but not ones with any profile in the US. I mean, Renault um, don't have any presence in the US really, uh, and Mahindra don't really have any presence anywhere outside of India. Got Jaguar. Jaguar is in Jaguar there now. Jaguar is only new this season. It's a bit mm. too early after one race to. Uh, say they've had any impact especially especially when they achieved what they wanted which was mid-table mediocrity oh five of the grid's a very nice place to be nick i i have heard that it's, it's, it's warm you, you've got cuddly people on both sides uh eot is bop as a few people are saying no i disagree no, with it's that not. Absolutely no, not. because with b with bop you build the car and then it is balanced to some nebulous figure yeah and With EOT, you look at the regulations and it tells you what you are allowed to do within the regulations. Equalisation of technology isn't BOP. What it does is tries to put very different concepts onto the same level. And whether that's looking at the uh, respective energy levels of a specific amount of different fuel, either petrol, diesel or, coming soon, hydrogen, um, or... Whether it is Gerard Navo tweeted about hydrogen uh, hybrids uh, today, so I think we can tick that one off for BMW coming along. Um, the or whether it is equalising the efficiency rates of energy harvesting and deployment from flywheels, batteries, or supercapacitors, which remember we all had, we had all of those three at the start. Those were values that were written down the equalization of technology uh, was there for everybody to see so it's not the same of, as BOP it's technical specification not a let's either bring everybody down to the not bring everybody down to the lowest common factor I think I think the, the way you describe it, it, it start is right you with, with the EOT you get the EOT then you design your car correct with you, BOP, make, you, you make your BOP, decisions you design your car then it gets BOP'd correct you make your decisions your technical decisions based on how you see the the EOT being a plus or a minus for the technology that you want to use and then you knock yourself out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Coming up to 9 o'clock. Have a couple of minutes, Nick. Knock yourself out on GP. Another British success. But more importantly, Mark Marquez showing us how much he has been raining all in all year. Because he's finally decided, right, I'm world champion. I'm going to go for it. And what happened, John? He fell off. <laughs> he lost the front end. The, the, the wicked front end of the Honda. He lost the front end going one to one of the downhill corners. And uh, despite le- leading by two or three seconds, it, w- it was a very difficult day. No, no, week, weekend. No one had uh, much of a setup. Um, did, you, have you, did you see it at all, John? No, I didn't, unfortunately. Uh, guess where Valentino Rossi qualified? Third. Fifteenth. Oh, my goodness. So outside the, f- the second part of it. And uh, guess where Valentino Rossi... Well, you know where he finished. He was second because he, he sorted it all out during uh, warm-up again. Lorenzo was, was 12th in qualifying as Yamaha had a terrible time in the changeable conditions. Um, it was a bit of a Honda track anyway. And Marquez, I think it was great. I, I, almost, I kind of super respect him even more for how he's been this season. Is in the first time when he actually does ride like last year, he fell off. Mm. Um, but it was, what happened then was Carl Crutchlow came through to win his second race of the year. So in the world of London buses, a British winner in MotoGP doesn't come along for 35 years and you get two in three months. 
Uh, and further in Seven years since we last had the British winner twice in the same season. That's true. Yeah, 70, 79 with Barry Sheen. Um, and obviously with Pedroza being um, not... Uh, everyone thinking he's going to come back next year, but obviously with Carl in the LCR Honda, there's got to be a chance he might end up on the Repsol. Uh, Nicky Hayden uh, did his, his comeback race and got knocked off. <laughs> ah. He, he did get knocked off. Someone came underneath him and knocked him off. I can't remember quite who it was. I think it might have been Jack Miller, actually, who just actually just... I, I had, uh, uh, maybe we're talking, actually not, I'll have to start that now because we're coming up to nine o'clock, the, um, we'll, we haven't even scratched Formula One at the moment, keep your, uh, maybe we don't want to, uh, <laughs> keep your tweets coming in <laughs> at Spectre Team and at Radio Le Mans, the big story tonight, Audi withdrawing from the World Endurance Championship and Le Mans at the end of this season. There will be no more R18 e-tron quattro in 2017. Potentially as few as four or five cars uh, in terms of the manufacturer entry at Le Mans in 2017. It's Midweek Motorsport, Series 11, Episode 39. And we're at half distance. Midweek Motorsport, where John has just 48 seconds to tell you what's coming in the next hour. Uh, which will be more of the same, I think. Uh, keep those tweets coming in, Spectatermans and at Radio Le Mans. Nick Damon will stay with us. We've got to somehow fit in a heck of a lot more sports car news as well. Graham Goodwin will be back with us in the second half of tonight's programme. Uh, Nick will be delighted to know that we've got a bit of rallying news to come as well. Nice I've turned his mic down so you didn't hear the groan. Over, uh, over the uh, the background music and we've got a pointless press release of the week to discuss as well it's all in the second half of the show and it's Formula 1 coming up next on Midweek Motorsports Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com and Nick Damon our Formula 1 correspondent is with us and you haven't turned and him up again yet. I have, I have. Uh, I, I wait for them to say the word F1 so I can go, hooray. Uh, and we have F1 news next. Hey! Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> now, here, here's what I was going to say beforehand. Okay. I was in Portugal at the weekend working. Yes, lucky, lucky you. Oh, it's a real lovely actor. I was in the Highlands of Scotland. Not if you're a Formula 1 fan. No, absolutely not. Because it is nigh on impossible to see Formula 1 on Portuguese television. Even if you have the pay-per-view sports channels. Really? It's migrated onto something called Eurosport Extra 2. Right. Sorry, Eurosport 2 Extra. Right. Which, as far as I can work out, means that it's extra money, extra <laughs> difficult to find, <laughs> and uh, basically nobody is watching it. Now, I ended up... Uh, the bizarre side of that was I could watch Talladega Live. So I watched NASCAR, and... At least the, everyone was trying in F1. And... I only could watch Formula One because the hotel that I was at, thank you very much, IHG Rewards Club, had RTL on their package, and ah, so I watched the German ah. coverage on RTL. Can I interject with a little story about foreign TV channels in hotels? Yes, you can. I was in Italy at the weekend. Yes, you a were. A country Bad where fella, it's by the way, very difficult to... Uh, it's nil-nil tonight, by the way. Uh, <laughs> a country where it's very difficult to avoid Formula One. Yes, um, except 
well, by the time the race started on Sunday night, I was back in London, so it w- wasn't right, okay. an issue for me. However, for the first time anywhere outside the UK, the TV in my hotel room had S4C as one of the channels it was offering. <laughs> which, which, for those that don't know, is Espadrolec, which is the so Welsh language uh, of... Uh, of uh, the the Welsh language station uh, for Wales and uh, which does World Rally still doesn't it? It does, yes. Does it do Rallyo? Rallyo. <laughs> yes, WRC TV, effectively. Uh, no, I I was shocked that I couldn't find uh, Formula One, um, so I missed the first twelve minutes whilst I was still trying to find RTL. Yes. Uh, but I didn't miss very much. Um, Lewis won. Yes. Um. Mercedes got the tactics right and Red Bull got the tactics wrong. Not really. It was just a bit of bad luck about... Well, actually, Red Bull did do it. Red Bull did a a reverse Singapore 2008 in which they actually managed to mismanage the breaking down of their own car and um, uh, actually handicapped the other one. So, yes, uh, that's true. They should, they should just basically tell Max to drive off the track somewhere safe, but uh, he left it somewhere dangerous, and so they had to uh, call a virtual safety car, which allowed uh, Rosberg to get the free pit stop, which, which um, hopped him past uh, Ricciardo. Because Ricciardo... Danny Rick, yeah. Because, yeah, Lewis, um, after some patchy weeks, was absolutely perfect. Um, pole win, not trying, you know, effectively trying to win the race by going as slowly as possible, using no rears whatsoever and never changing gear, apparently, according to his post-race conference. Mm. He's convinced it's going to break down. Oh, Mercedes, you're going to blow up and ruin my day. You know, it was, it was kind of... It was interesting. That's very good. It was like having Lewis right here next to me. I thought it was more like Albert Steptoe, but never mind. <laughs> um, but no, he, was, he, he managed to throw a dig in. That, you know, he was so worried he was going to blow up. It was such a nightmare. Um, I'm still convinced that Lewis is going to win the championship. Well... The thing is, he came first. Rosberg, who was quite cautious because he think he, he doesn't need a DNF, came second. He did what he needed to do. He was outperformed by by, by Lewis, but the car's so good now, he hasn't got the problem of cars getting in the way. You know, he he probably would have got past Ricardo anyway with the tyre strategy because it's got an extra oomph down the straight to get past. So he he got second. That's all he only needs second. Second for every race now is the championship for Rosberg. Yeah, but it's going to be a race where he won't finish. I've already said that, and I believe. And what's more, do you know, do you know the sum total of his reliability issues this year? That gearbox glitch mm. at um, Silverstone actually cost him nothing until he got penalised by the FIA. So actually, Mercedes have cost him no points with reliability this year. Gordon Ramsay agrees with me. That's not a good sign. Yeah. Uh, the Verstappen rule. Yes, you can't move under braking. I, you, that, that, I, I really I'm very up about that. I'd be interested to see how they how they apply it, because what's moving, what's getting offline, what's locking up. But um, yeah, they, they had some some robust overtaking. They let go, which was quite good. When Alonso went up the inside of Massa, um, to just say, look, different I, yeah, stewards. I've still different stewards. have still. I think basically Alonso just look. I've still got it. I'll take a different line. I'll just. I thought Alonso off. was sparkling at the weekend. Yeah, he was really, 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 when he when he when he. He won- was the high point of a very 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 dull Grand Prix. Well, it doesn't help when you, you know you talk about TV. Mm. I was in the Highlands of Scotland over the weekend, so I couldn't watch it live. So I had to watch it on highlights on Channel Four. Oh, lots of breaks. Oh, well so now you know how adverts. our American listeners feel. So many adverts, and they're so long. And do they have to tell me about their SAS program for forty-five now seconds you know every how our, break? Um, our oh. American listeners are going. Welcome to my world at the moment, and it doesn't so matter many. if they go side by side because the picture's so small you can't see what's going on, and you can't hear the commentary anywhere. It was oh. I just I, I was trying to stay, I was trying to stay awake anyway on a number of them. It was one o'clock in the morning, and <laughs> it wasn't the most exciting thing ever. And another break, and then, oh, 
Next I was, I was, well, I was just saying, getting close to the point, the point we got to at some point, we, we actually want to write down all the advertisers so you won't use their products. Um, Once again, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll refer you back to my previous answer. Welcome to our American listeners. Well, we listeners. haven't got a long wait for the next race because it's this weekend. Oh, is it? It's in Mexico. All right, okay. In the, uh, where you were a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's very um, sunny there today. Uh, nice warm day and it'll be lovely and uh, Lewis will win and uh, Nico will be second and we'll keep trying to make out it's exciting when Nico's just going to get four second places and win the World Championship. And he what might actually be uh, he no, He's good down, at Brazil. Nick. Well, if he breaks down, there's a chance that, that uh, Rosberg could become World Champion in, in uh And what would weekend. he have to do to do that? Uh, win to nothing. No, yeah. he wouldn't have to, wi- he wouldn't he have 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 to win. win. He would. He would have to win, yeah. All oh, right, okay. You need 25 to nothing, yeah. All right, okay. Yeah, so okay. it could be all... But in fairness, um, Rosberg's always been very, very good in Brazil. I will get, I will say now, I think there will be cars between Lewis and Nico this weekend. No, it's a power circuit. Not round the back, it's not. It's altitude, it's a power circuit. Not round the back, it's not. Okay, well, I hope you're right. All about down. I hope there's cars the in back. front of Lewis and um, Nico, Nico, and they have to overtake them and show what they can do. Hmm? Okay. Uh, and what's left after that then? Brazil yeah. and then Abu Dhabi. They're having a party, you know. What an Abu Dhabi <laughs> day! All right, yeah. Yeah, it's too slow reasonable. with the fader. <laughs> <laughs> you knew it. You knew it. Yes, was I knew it was coming. coming. Uh, I have yeah. some news from St Mary's. Okay, oh, go on. Tonight's attendance is twenty-one thousand four hundred and sixty. This you, are is you a football again. No, he's playing us. Southampton versus Sunderland. Oh, it's tonight. League Cup. It's yeah, it's just there were lots of Arsenal fans came back on the train last night. Yeah. Uh, coming in on the uh, coming in on the Twitter uh, Formula One run run no track limits allegedly says uh, oh Nick yeah Collins. I, I read a thing about um, Martin Brown got his his knickers very firmly in a twist about how much liberty the drivers were taking with track limits especially after the zero tolerance at uh, mm. the w- WEC championship the fact is um, the rules are the rules and it's the rules Have they're the, working did, to did they put some extra gravel traps in at 19 and 18 that I haven't seen I didn't before. didn't see anything. Well, I, I, I did see a tweet that somebody was caught in a gravel trap at 19. I didn't think there was one there. Um, in the UK, was there a no turning point. Yes. <laughs> uh, in the UK, a turning point in terms Ooh, of the TV. Turning, and Stu G has just <laughs> uh, reminded me of this. Uh, this is slightly parochial, but it, it, uh, and, and I apologise for, for talking about TV, but this is something that I've said in the past that needs addressing and Liberty, who have just bought Formula One or about to buy Formula One or possibly might buy Formula One if the check clears, are a major company and they need to address this. Cash, clear. What happened at the weekend, which was the first time ever, Nick? Uh, the, the people watching on pay television outnumber the people watching on free-to-air. Now, it was only hi- highlights, but that is the and first time that's happened. it was uh, a bad set of timings. It was good time for... Uh, the live showing and a bad time for the highlights but it was quite a big chunk it was like 900,000 saw it on Sky and only 700,000 saw it on highlights on free to wear which meant it was 1.6 million total or so and I'd like to thank F1 Broadcasting on Twitter uh, for these numbers um, but it was you know it was it was symbolic because it's, it, you know, the thing is by moving from BBC to Channel 4 they've shed a load of viewers anyway you know, when you move off the top two channels, BBC One or ITV, with the same mm. programme, as will be seen by the, the Great British Break-Off, which is running its final at the moment, at the same time it's going on. Uh, but um, the, it, you just lose oh, numbers naturally. 
you lose numbers naturally. So um, it's you know, and and can we just just spin this round? And the other thing you have to realize, if you look at programs which even programs run on ITV, ITV four. Formula E never got big numbers. It's moved Channel Five. It's still not getting big numbers. It's getting less. It's so fewer numbers. Fewer. Yeah. And and the numbers for Formula E, just to know, after the worst ever figures for F1, are still ten uh, percent. Yeah. Actually, less in than the UK. Eight percent in the UK. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I spoke to Kaz Nakajima about Japanese motorsport uh, for an article that will be coming out this week on Mobile One The Grid, whilst we were in Fuji, and his comments about Formula One and its availability or indeed lack thereof on normal terrestrial television um, was v- were very very interesting uh, particularly about where motorsport is going in Japan um, I'll tweet it out when that's that is available by Formula One's own figures FOM's own figures mm-hmm. in the last I think it's five years the numbers watching Formula One have gone from three times the number of people that mm-hmm. live on the planet yep. to just two times the people uh, that live on the planet. Actually, uh, that's the population that's not of the planet clear. has increased quite a lot in that time. Well, that, yeah, that's, that's probably true. So the, the, it's yeah. gone down by a third. Uh, yeah. the, by their own numbers, the people who are watching Formula One has gone down by 33% in a relatively short space of time. That's not good for Formula One. It's not good for motorsport. What have Liberty got to do to turn that around? Well, they have a problem in that um, in the last couple of years, uh, Bernie has been signing ever more exclusive contracts with the pay TV people. Obviously, it started off with Sky was uh, running a kind of parallel service to the BBC, then they got half the races uh, uniquely. And this is the, this is also happening in Sky Italy, it's happening in uh, in other countries as well. Uh, and now, of course, in the UK and other countries, um, it's only going to be on pay TV in a couple of years' time. And and it's not the way to go forward. It's, you know, if you want, you've got a choice. You can take some extra cash or you can get people eyes on the prize. Now, the thing is, the manufacturers and the teams uh, have kind of got themselves in a situation where, you know, if they want to attract sponsors, they need the most number of people watching, and they will not get the most people watching because it's on pay TV, but they've been chasing after pay TV money as well. Um, it's it's the English cricket scenario all yeah, over absolutely. again. They chased the, the money and the English and Welsh cricket board, the ECB. Why is there not a W in that? Um, went it's a few w. years ago. Is it? Uh, <laughs> no, it's oh, just right, ECB. Well, I suppose it's like the BRDC, isn't it? British Racing Drivers Club. The British and Commonwealth Racing Drivers Club. Uh, okay. They chased after big money to put it on, which Sky TV, the, the, the satellite broadcaster, and then complained that nobody was watching the test matches. You can't have it both ways. No, and the So is there a balance? What I'm trying to say is, is there a balance that has to be struck here, whereby you have to look at the bigger and longer term picture? which CVC have never done. They've just taken money out of the sport. Yeah, and they've also followed kind of slavery to this concept that the bigger TV deal is necessarily better, which I don't think it was. And and you only have to look at the... You mean uh, the bigger in terms of money cash, coming in? Yeah, you only have yes. to look at the, the lack of actual sponsors on so many of the cars. If you're going to go Stand and say to... McLaren. Yeah, if you're going to say, I want to go and sell to a household name, I'm going to say I want to give it to Fairy Liquid. I think Fairy Liquid are in most countries, aren't they? Washing up liquid. Yeah. And Fairy Liquid go, okay, great, fantastic. You want ha- you want this many millions of pounds. Okay, right, so we get some corporate days, fantastic. But who can see our, our, our logos? Well, we've got this many people. Well, that's, you know, that's not many eyes, is it? You, you've reduced the number of eyes from five million a race in the UK to a million. So that's worth 20% of it was to me. Mm. And this is the thing. It's kind of, and then more importantly, as you go forward, people don't get exposed to the sport, and therefore you don't become a fan of a sport if you can't see it. Mm. 
And so you kind of you lose the next generation. And I think that being on, even though the traditional model is changing very much, and there's many, many channels, I think being on a free-to-air channel, you know, there's not even going to be highlights on free-to-air. It's not like they're going to have in the UK. They're not, they, they, even the highlights are going to be pay-per-view. Or even though on a more general channel, so you think no, you've got to you've got to make it, you've got to have a chance of new people watching it, of falling over the show. I completely agree. Uh, one final Formula One story from Tim. Uh, the future of Malaysian Grand Prix is in doubt. Uh, yes, I believe that. And every drop of rain in the force. No, no, I think that I'm not. I think the two closest Grand Prix venues, as the crow flies, are Malaysia and Singapore. I don't. They're I only think 160 Spa, miles Spa apart. The Nürburgring are quite oh, close. Uh, Nürburgring's not hasn't been a Grand Prix venue for a very long time. Doesn't count. Okay. I'm talking about this season. The closest was, was 160 miles, I believe. I right. think that's closer than Spa and Silverstone. I think that's closer than than Monaco uh, and Barcelona. Monaco and Barcelona might be quite, yeah, or, or Monaco and Milan might be closer actually. Oh, Milan, it was Monza, Monza. Monza. Monza is but it is, Milan, yeah. yeah, you always think of a flyaway as they're massively apart in the world. No, it's 160 miles between those two races, and everyone thinks Singapore's great, and thousands go there. And Malaysia can only sell 45,000 tickets, and they've started rumbling, hmm. um, despite it being a lot of money getting the track resurfaced, which it now turns out was actually more at the behest of MotoGP. Where they get hundreds of thousands yes. turn up. Yes, good point. Um, saying, well, we haven't really got any first mover. We're not making any money. It loses money every year. And after 2018, we might drop it. Now, there's two reasons they're going to do they, they say that. Number one is to negotiate down the cost. Number two is to drop it and you know, fa- save faces in a, in, a, in a pre-announcement sort of way. So, Can I put my foot in Grand the number Prix- one camp? You. <laughs> well, yeah. I think that's it. most things are about money, Tim. <laughs> Uh, and uh, have we got goal. time for a rally? Oh, don't tell me. I want to watch the highlights later. Okay. Uh, for the rest you of you, too happy though. The, uh, that was a smiley voice. That yeah, it was there. a smiley voice. For the rest voice. of you, the score is one nil to Southampton. Very good. <laughs> uh, and uh, WRC comes to the UK Excellent. tomorrow. Uh, mm-hmm. Wales Rally GB. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Damon, obviously a big fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know what? Actually, no. I hope you that I hope that everyone has a very fun, safe rally. I hope that Wales makes the money back. It's paid for the um, uh, arrangement fee, the sanctioning fee. It's and of course, not sponsored well. by Wales this year, is it? They have a different sponsor. Really? Are they? Yes. So it's not Wales Rally GB. It's just Rally GB. No, it, it happens Wales. to be happening in Wales. Name of insurance company Rally GB. The day insure Rally GB. Huh. And it just happens to be in Wales. Well, that's Most well, in Wales, that, yes. Do you know what is sad to me about that? Is that for pretty much all of my formative years, and quite a lot of years after that, I was either on working uh, as a marshal or a sector commander or broadcasting from that rally, and I didn't know it was happening this week because I've seen absolutely nothing about it. I was having a conversation on Monday with Johnny Palmer. Uh, mm-hmm. and we were talking about what we were going to do this weekend. And mm-hmm. uh, he said he's going to see Cheltenham versus Blackpool on Saturday. And then yep. he's going to Good venture choice. into the Welsh forests on Sunday. And I, it took me a while to wonder to why he might want to wander into the Welsh forests on Sunday. Uh, he has some strange well, pursuits. Were you worried for a while there? He, he has some strange <laughs> park, pursuits. Park up and flashing his lights. He, yes. I know he has some relatives in Swansea. 
so that's WRC happening this weekend. It's not the final round, though, is it? Uh, it's not. No, there's it? Australia no. at the end because ah, Australia course, yes. paid to be at the end. The end. Yes, that's right. Mm. All right. Well, we wish everybody the best. We have um, some more Australian news, but we'll do that a little bit later on in the show. Right. Well, there's been lots more sports car news to get uh, through this evening, apart from the Audi news, which obviously we had to have at the top of the show. Graham Goodwin is back with us. I uh, finished typing away <laughs> there in the background. Uh, Graham, we'll start with Estoril at the weekend. A fabulous finale for the LMS. Uh, well, a fabulous race. Uh, I'm sure there's a couple of teams that feel differently, but uh, it's uh, again dealt out the drama that we've come to expect from the European Le Mans series this season, John, and uh, some worthy champions. Mm. There's some, some teams that uh, didn't quite make it that will feel pretty aggrieved at the manner of their departure from the race. Um, you know, rather unusually, it was reliability rather than incident that actually played a part this time. And uh, but yeah, I mean, you can't complain about uh, you know four hours of well, real drama. Did we actually get to the bottom of what happened? Right, we know GMW was a a gearbox, gear, gearbox casing, and something else as well. Right. Then uh, obviously, I think that car at the point of um, the rather dramatic accident, which finally put paid to its run um, realistically it was all over at that stage anyway yes and we should say that that contact played no part no. in uh, the cars the cars demise uh, as such what about TDS what do we know about TDS uh, electrical it was certainly they were struggling with starting the car and uh, as we saw when they got the car back out the first time, that had manifested itself with the car being stuck in gear as well. So ah. it's just delay after delay. So it's a, a, a rather complex electrical slash electronics issue uh, that j- just cost them too much time eventually. And so gutted, I'm afraid, uh, the uh, the French team. Uh, we don't go back to Estoril uh, next year. The season finale will be in Portimao, which had beautiful sunny weather uh, this weekend when we had... Um, changeable weather uh, at uh, Estoril, which I don't think took anything away. The infrastructure at Estoril, whilst being a bit shabby chic, for me is still better than going to Portimao, but uh, you know that's not one of my favourite favorite places. I- I'll I'll be sad to see Estoril taken off, off the calendar, frankly. It's my first time there and I, I thoroughly enjoyed the weekend. I thought the whole uh, the whole atmosphere of the place and uh, everybody from top to bottom, the facilities that are nearby were were superb. Uh, yeah, it's always been it's a place where we get a very friendly welcome. Uh, you know, it, it absolutely right the shabby chic. Aside from the windows of the press room, probably haven't been uh, cleaned <laughs> since 1996, the last time we had a Grand Prix. But um, it, it's always sad to see a you know a good circuit leave the calendar. Portimao. That press room. Been... That press room reminds me a lot of Interlagos of Brazil. Oh, yeah, very much so. And it's that kind of era, isn't it? But mm. uh, Portimao, I think we look forward to getting back there. It's a, it's a track that races reasonably well. Um, clearly, there's been a better offer uh, on the table for the European Le Mans Series next year. But uh, but for the moment, you know, we stay in Portugal, which is a good thing. Yes. Uh, we get back to a track we've not been to for a little wee while, which is a good thing. Uh, but sadly, for the moment, it's, uh, it's farewell Estoril, John. What came out of the weekend? One or two teams staying on and doing some testing, notably United Auto Sports, champions, of course. They've got to think about a LMP2 entry to Le Mans next year and, and maybe expanding into LMP2 as well, or is that a little further down the line? 
I think the, the answer is that there is still work to be done. There's no doubt we will see United Autosports at the Le Mans 24 Hours in an LMP2. And, and you know, you've got to say with their relationship with Onroke, uh, that's very likely to be a new Ligier. What we don't yet know is what the plan, if any, will be to have a part of full season effort with that LMP2. They will, of course... Um, retain their right to that automatic entry with their full season entries that we expect um, in LMP3 and we already know what one of those driver squads will be because the I suspect the success of United Autosports on track this year is, is what's actually persuaded the entire uh, now ex-Graf racing crew with John Falb uh, Enzo Potlicchio and uh, Sean Rahal to um, basically pack up their troubles in their old kit bag and, and bring it across to Blighty. So it, they will be in one of the, what I expect to be again, be a multi-car effort from United Autosports and LMP3. And by dint of that, John, they get the opportunity to decide whether or not they can put together a programme that will be for a full season in P2. They don't have to do that. No. In exactly the same way as KCMG, uh, uh, this year's uh, Le Mans, had their their, um, their efforts in LMP2, the automatic entry because of their win uh, the year before, but guaranteed by the fact that they had a GTM car in for the full season. And what of the other United participants this year Alex Brundles won the championship uh, with with his car and his teammates another year for them or moving on uh, I, I think it remains to be seen certainly I've had a conversation with a number of the guys uh, I suspect Mike Guash might well be looking at stepping up to P2 Alex Brundle of course would love to have a full time P2 uh, uh, go and of course he's shown very well indeed with uh, with G Drive in their WEC programs in Slamon. Uh, of the rest of them, Mark Patterson keeps teasing us whether or not he's actually going to retire or not. Uh, more farewell tours than Engelberg Humperdinck and indeed Tom Jones put together. Uh, but my guess is we might well see Mark back again. Chris, Christian England is impressed, of course, on his way to a title. But for me, the standout surprise of the year, uh, for those that didn't know his form, Wayne Boyd. Uh, now, he is one of those guys. Uh, that has to wait and see what he gets in terms of a driver ranking and beyond that whether or not he can do something on pure talent he certainly deserves it he's been one of the very quickest guys in LMP3 this season and we'll wait and see what what, what comes to, to pass in 2017 it popped out over the weekend we were kind of expecting it but then it looked like it wasn't going to be released and then indeed it was the combined Michelin Le Mans Cup this is the current GT3 cars with Effectively a second category of LMP3s, same technical regulations, uh, same cars, but running in a two-hour race with the GT3 cars, being widely trailed, looked like it wasn't going to be announced, then was. Yeah, and I remain ultimately to be convinced about this. Now, the, the uh, I guess the surprise part of the formula is the effectively introducing a league system. So it will be five up, the five top cars or top teams um, from the first season of the Michelin 
uh, Le Mans Cup, five top LMP3 teams will be effectively promoted to the LMS in 2017, and it will be the same in reverse. Uh, the bottom five will effectively be relegated. I don't understand how that works, Graham. Well, and I don't yet know how that's going to go down with Because is it the car? Is it the drivers? Is it the teams? It's, it's the entrance. It's the teams that would, would actually do it. Now, clearly what we don't yet know, and I suspect the teams don't either uh, yet know, what effect that's going to have on their 2017 mm. plans, what the effect's going to have on their 2018 plans. Sorry, so we're going to have to have, aren't we? Um, a, and, right, let's take it back a step, actually. The reason this has had to happen is because LMP3 has been, whisper it, slightly too successful. Um, Correct. In uh, numerical terms, yes. Yeah. So there isn't enough room to have any more LMP3 cars than we've already got in the ELMS. I've got a bit further than that, John. We've actually got, I believe... Too many. They believe too many, and I would tend to agree with them. So at some stage, somebody, the ACO and LMEM, the people... That's Gerard Navo's company who who run both the ELMS and the support series and, of course, the WEC as well, on behalf of the ACO. Uh, somebody's going to have to sit down and say, right, you're in ELMS. Uh, you, I'm afraid, are going to have to start your campaign uh, in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. And then at the end of the season, there's promotion and relegation. <sighs> Rather them than me... If I'm honest. It's brave. It's brave. Now, now, on one one level, it makes a lot of sense. They're giving people a ladder system. They're yes. giving people an opportunity to uh, effectively introduce themselves to international endurance racing with a kind of a, a, a kind of light step forward. Whether or not that will meet the the realities of commercial life for the teams, because of course in a two-hour race it won't be three drivers; it will be two. Yes, and good that point. means that you can only spread the cost of running that car two ways. Now, if you're a single-car team, your logistics are exactly the same cost. Mm. Exactly the same cost. So we'll wait and see. I think it's a brave move. I think, by the by, it also explains perhaps one of those questions we hadn't really got the answer to, which is, why did the ACO respond so very quickly to the Provencic uh, announcement? The reason is because actually they've got their own plan. uh, And what they don't want to do is to lose teams to effectively a rival organisation. I have a simple view on this one, John, which is those two organisations need to sit down and talk. My view is a very simple one, is the ACO have something that Cravantic would quite like, which is a prototype field, which they can actually have a complementary season with, uh, which works absolutely hand in glove with some of those teams that perhaps will be disappointed they won't have the big show. They could do both. Um, equally, Cravantic have something the ACO don't have, which is an effective address book for GT3 teams. Well, well we could, talked about there this. There could be something here. Yeah, there could be. There could be. that. We talked about this, and I still don't understand, and I've talked to a number of people in the paddock over the weekend, I still don't understand why there's not 25 GT3 cars in that Road to Le Mans series. Uh, It's got a great tyre manufacturer in Michelin that provides tyres that gentlemen drivers... Forget about the the pros at the moment. The pros will find work. The pros will go where they're paid to go. The gentlemen drivers need a compact racing weekend on good circuits where they've got half a chance of taking home some silverware on a tyre that they can 
be consistent on. And yes, I am. I'm I'm pointing at Pirelli and and SRO because still they haven't got that sorted out uh, with the Blancpain series. And frankly, there are people, and you and I have spoken to a lot of them, who are a bit bored of finishing twenty eighth in a in a Blancpain field of cars when they're driving their socks off, and so are their their pro drivers. I don't understand why more of them haven't haven't come over and indeed from the national series as well around Europe particularly British GT same thing runs on Pirelli which is an inconsistent tyre I'm afraid it really is Um, and you don't get the opportunity to go to Le Mans you don't get the opportunity to win the kind of money that we're talking about in the Michelin GT Cup or Michelin uh, Cup as it will be next year add to that next year you've got the opportunity of learning about mixed class racing with some prototypes in we should have 25 gt cars in there gt3 cars in i suspect we won't well uh let's hope we do now i think i think to answer your question why haven't we well i think it comes down perhaps to to two things one which is fairly subtle the other one which i'm going to be pretty direct about i just don't think it's been pushed hard enough right is the honest answer i don't think that the kind of customer care that is required to tease people out of a comfort zone exists in that paddock and that's something where they need to take some lessons i agree with you because if if you build it they will come will only get you so far won't it and, and who do we know that's very good at that john very good at authentic there you go so i mean there, there you go potential alliance there i am told and i'm told from extremely senior source that uh, if talks aren't currently underway to actually get this mess sorted out, they are very soon to be underway. Um, that came very much from the not to the Cheval's mouth, but uh, but you know, <laughs> but certainly from a very senior member of management. One of the other things that could get sorted, by the way, there's an opportunity from potential adversity. Is the one complaint I do hear from the teams in uh, the Michelin GT3 Le Mans Cup is they want to be in the main paddock, and of course, but ah. you've got such a packed. Um, you know, uh, support grid that can often be difficult. Mm-hmm. And again, indeed, this weekend at Estoril, they were kind of three rows back uh, behind the tyre trucks. Now, that's not going to go down well if actually you want to feel part of the big show. Well, with the end of the Renault RSO1s, the Renault Sport Trophy, that does mean that paddock space is freed up. Good point. You would also expect, wouldn't you, that you're going to have the point where there are going to be teams, particularly in LMP3, which might well have a car in each championship. Yes. Got a lot of teams that are looking to double up, and actually that's where this makes sense. If you've got someone like a, I don't know, a Euro, um, sorry, an Inter Europol, then you could have one car in the big show, one car in the, in the Le Mans Cup, but it actually makes sense to have your paddocks closer together. So let's wait and see if that makes a difference. Um, I'll certainly be kind of putting in my 10 penneth when I speak to them and say, look, you know, these are the things you need to do. It comes back, John, to a debate that you and I have had on this show going back to the very first uh, couple of times I did it, which is we need to be in a world where fewer people are building walls between these packages and more are building alliances because that's yes. where the growth is going to come. Because we're into a, into a position now where, give it a year, there will be two truly global Motors, uh, you know, uh, endurance racing 
um, you know, uh, packages. One will certainly be GT3 and will be for many years to come, I'm sure. The other one, increasingly, obviously, is going to be LMP3. Mm. And I think either you work with your customers to make it work for them or you risk that not getting the shot in the arm that needs. Yeah, in in terms of customer-facing uh, series, I, I completely agree with you. They will never be at the highest level. They'll never be a world championship and they'll never run no. at Le Mans. But yes, you're absolutely right in terms of of uh, a global formula for privateers um, and gentlemen drivers. I, I completely agree with you and that's what it was designed for. Uh, let's, let's run through a couple of other things. Um, the O, Ricker O7 uh, out now, teased yesterday now a revealed bonnie looking car but nothing spectacular really uh it's a pretty looking car i think by the look of what we've seen so far whatever you think of the the nuances of the individual designs they do look different from each other they've they're clearly designed within the same box yeah of regulations but i think we're going to see sufficient differences between the kind of kind of stand-up type slash lister storm lmp of the delara the clearly evolution of the current theme for the ligier and actually an orica 07 that at first look you've got to look very carefully to see the differences from the current orica 05 yes um but uh, this is p2 not... car we should say this is it's the new absolutely. global this is a new global p2 car i've decided i'm going to call I'm going to call the SEO FIA versions global P2s, and then everything else will be a variation thereon. But this is the new, the new version from Orica. Indeed, and you know we are going to see those cars uh, certainly confirmed already. The Orica and the Ligier, and I strongly suspect the Delara in all three major series, which will welcome them either in DPI and/or in Gibson engined LMP2 form. We're yet to see what's going to happen with the Raleigh Multimatic. That clearly has got a DPI customer, we believe, in uh, Mazda, and I expect we're going to see some private uh, efforts from that. Very likely, of course, in IMSA. Um, and you know, possible in the WEC and/or the LMS, which which means I think John, what we're heading for is entries in double figures between the four manufacturers mm-hmm. in all three championships. There's still it rankles to me that at the weekend we had a championship-winning car and a car that has featured heavily over the year and finished on the podium, being championship-winning car the. Zytec Gibson and the BRO1, which we won't see next year, which ultimately has been legislated out of existence. And I, I still, in fact, the more I think about it, the more I get frustrated that we are moving into this new brave era that we never needed in the first place. There was nothing wrong with what we saw at the weekend in terms of the variety of LMP2 cars, and yet we're giving that all up for something, and and let's be very candid about this, Graham, for something that will have to be BOP'd almost immediately that it comes in, and we've got another championship, another class in top class, top class endurance racing performance that is going to have to have the BOP words in it. Well, let's look at the positives before I get into the negatives, because that might take a little longer. The positives are that uh, it is it is clear that the, the, the new formula has been embraced by very many uh, of the existing teams. And happily, uh, a, a pretty large proportion of teams are looking to step up to, to LMP2 from LMP3. So that part mm. of the equation is certainly working. 
the the performance of the cars based on what we've heard from early testing certainly the Ligier is spectacular uh, it is of the level of LMP1 privateer certainly way less than a decade ago arguably five six years ago we're talking uh, about the kind of levels there the grids should be healthy at the moment i'm going to put my uh, you know um uh, toe in the water and say somewhere around 15 lmp2 cars of which i believe all if not almost all will be to the new specification so we won't have any grandfather cars or very very few in the lms um, I think we may be into double figures, 10, 11, 12 uh, for the WEC, including some big name teams to come that have not so far featured on the rumour mm. mill. There is, there is, I believe, some exciting news to come there. And we're already, I believe, with the uh, if you tot up what we know in terms of DPI and what we know in terms of P2s, in double figures at IMSA. That's the good news. The bad news, or rather the, the, uh, the unknowns at the moment are... Uh, Inevitably, when you put a new package together, reliability doesn't immediately follow. So I think we've got a season or so to come. I actually had a good long chat with Bill Gibson uh, at the LMS Awards dinner um, on Sunday evening. And he said, look, you know, at the end of the day, we haven't had any problems in testing with the new Gibson V8. But the inevitability is when you look at installation, it's the little bits, isn't it? It's the 10 quid part there and the 50p bolt there that tend to kind of find whether or not things like heat and vibration tend to get to them and it, these are the things that take time to, to actually wheedle the way through and although the Ligier for instance has already had I think it's 4,000 kilometres of testing a lot more to come those things don't ever really get tested till you get into the race scenario the other bit and I can't get away from this I'll be honest with you is we've already heard about the kind of lap times for those cars and as I said earlier John 325s at, at Le Mans I'm, it, at the absolute I, I, outside I think it might even be quicker than that I, I think possibly not. I think we may be looking possibly a little over 3.30. But, but you know, I, we've heard before from some of the usual suspects, um, some of these estimates, the the, 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 the times we're hearing from Monza are hand-timed. Uh, we know that those are accurate. Uh, the rest of it, but certainly 3.30 is damn quick around the Le Mans 24-hour circuit, even if it's 3.30. If it's 3.40, mm. it's still quick. Which brings me to my other point, which is, at the moment, if you're in a, you have an LMP1 car, whether or not it's a factory car, a customer factory car, which we don't currently have, or an LMP1L car, there's one thing you can't have in that car, and that's a bronze driver. Mm-hmm. If, however, you've got a P2 car, you can. So if those P2 cars are of equal or just short of that performance level, why can't you? So... There is a potential question here. There's only one reason why you wouldn't have a bronze driver in an LMP1 car, and that's the potential safety aspect. I think that's a question that needs to be asked and answered if we're going to maintain the level of performance that we predict from these LMP2 cars. Um, Let's talk about some GT news. Um, Porsche 911 GT3 RSR, which is the GTE GT Le Mans car out at Sebring. Uh, Interestingly... Uh, difficult to see on the fuzzy video, but looks very much to me as though it's using the Turbo S bodywork, so not the GT3 road car bodywork with the louvres around the front wheels, but with the air intakes in front of the the back uh, fenders with blacked out rear windows that look like very much to me as though there's air intakes with louvres on the, the back windows and with a noise that is certainly not what we've been used to from 
flat sixes with a diffuser that suggests at the very least that the rear-mounted engine has been moved up and somewhere forward, if not into amidships. And news from those that have driven it that the car is a bit of a handful. Well, not a surprise. Early days, of course. Uh, I think, what, what do we know? Well, we know what we can see, John, and certainly I tend to agree with you that indicates in a number of ways uh, you know, that the long-held belief and, and beyond rumour that uh, they've they sought to kind of negate one of the, the balance issues that the 911 mm. RSR has actually had, which is to move the engine forward. Is it a turbo? On the basis of what we've heard, I think it is, is the honest answer. It has um, to be, Graham, from a, from a uh, marketing point of view. And, and the other thing I think, John, is this. I mean, we've seen the strides forward in extremists that you've seen now from the Ferrari uh, and indeed from the Ford. And, and make no mistake, uh, the, the, the rest have been rendered competitive only through the process of balance of performance. Mm. So in terms of the levels of efficiency you'll get, in terms of the power output the guys need, in terms of the drivability, the torque that's required, turbo is clearly the way that people are actually moving. Yes. I would at this stage, on the basis of what we've heard, be very surprised indeed if it wasn't a well Porsche being Porsche flat six turbo but yeah. could it be something else it could be no it's not it's a flat six turbo I think it'll be reduced capacity the, the issue that every and funny enough this goes back to GT3 as well talking to a few of the teams in the paddock um, turbos are ruining GT3 and they will ruin GTE as well if uh, if, if I'm not mistaken it's almost impossible to police boost figures uh, it's too easy for people to get around them in creative ways you can call it cheating or you can call it being clever with the rules i think it's the latter but once you put turbos on it's one of the reasons that audi never wanted anything other than normally aspirated engines in gt3 um at the weekend even in the gt3 cup interesting to see the differences between some of the 488s um there was 15 kilometre speed difference between the 488 and the 458. Now, that was balance of performance. But there was also five or six kilometres between some of the different cars who were allegedly all running the same wing package. So somebody's got their head round being able to get the cars to boost differently and the engines to run differently. And it will be ever thus. Porsche had to do something, though, Graham, in the top class. Um to get back on terms. They were a bit late to the party with that GT3 effort, with their ACO FIA GT3 effort. Everything's called GT3 for Porsche, of course. But with the GTLM, the GTE effort, this continues to be their flagship, their halo product. Yes, the 919 is technology on wheels, but ultimately the 911 is what they race to sell cars after they've won on Mon- a Sunday to sell on Monday. Uh, absolutely right. And, uh, you know, judging by the kind of the, the, the recent um, way in which things are done, there's going to be a very small list indeed of privileged Porsche customers <laughs> will get the road-going versions of what we're going to see racing. Uh, it's great to see it out there. It looks like a 911. I'm sure it'll go like a 911. Uh, it's great that they're going to be back in the game on the World Championship front because I have no doubt at all, John, we'll see a full effort in the WEC alongside the full effort that you'll see all next season and uh, talk to the, the listeners and the viewers about um, you know, in IMSA competition, which has got to be good news. 
news and that mm. will mark the next step forward of what will be several steps forward for international gte racing uh, that needs to be sustained and yes you know we are now i'm afraid in an era where gte is just as as much uh, a slave to balance performance as GT3 is. Yes, rather disgracefully. Uh, Veloba Corsa, uh, Belici, Senna Giotto and Lacorte. That's going to be a, a LMP2 car. That's a quickie there. A lot of Bathurst uh, news. Sorry, go on. Uh, abs- Have a word about absolutely. the P2. Well, P2, yes, indeed. So they, they'll be uh, with the Delora P2. They've already driven it. Spoke to Roberto Lacorte at uh, Estoril. He says, uh, very impressed indeed with how easy that car is to drive. Mm. Uh, that, uh, yes, the performance is a big step forward from their LMP3. And by the way, he's hoping that this is uh, the mark of things to come. They will still be running their LMP3 ah. and looking for customers for that. So, you know, it's not just about... Uh, a step over it's a better step up as well uh, as for Bathurst absolutely right things coming together quite nicely ex-British uh, GT champions Brookspeed have announced that they're going to be racing to full GT Sport 4 spec uh, Caymans so the GT4 class John looks set to get a bit of a shot in the arm um, beyond that yeah, well you know <sighs> If you, if you get the chance to go to the mountain in February, please, please, please do take it because it just it just builds and builds and builds, doesn't it? Mm, it does. And the sprint event as well that comes up um, next month is going to be extraordinary. Well, how how many cars? Is it 300 cars? 275 they've limited the entry to. Rather disappointingly, I feel. A crushing um, disappointing, uh, crushingly disappointing 275 cars. I, I think say... they have over 200 entries already. Uh, the uh, the guys who were uh, organising at a Yeehaw event who were the originators of, of the 12 hours, of course, and still do the 6 hours at Easter uh, as, as well. And... The, I mean, there's stuff on there that includes radicals, GT3 cars, right down to modified production cars, and effectively, it's challenge. They're gonna. It's called Challenge the Mountain, um, Challenge Bathurst, and I think it's a great, great idea. It, it, it will not surprise anyone to know that there are a few GT3 teams going down there to get a bit of sneaky practice before the 12 hours. Uh, absolutely, and it's some of the big guys. It's mm. uh, Marlon Motorsport are going to be there. Vicious Rumour is going to be there. Steve Richards Motorsport with his two BMW M6 GT3 cars. Um, likely to include uh, Mark Scaife, Russell Ingle, Tony Longhurst, uh, as well as Steve Richards. The Midica Stone, Aston Martins. There's going to be Mercedes-Benz AMG GTs, Lamborghini Gallardo GT3s. Uh, plus the Mark Cars Australia guys, and uh, I'm sure uh, more than a gaggle. from them. Great stuff, and you know, and, and this is the, by, by sprint. By the way, we should make clear that this is not a sprint race. This is one-off runs yes. against the clock. Effectively, John, time attack. Yes, in in other people's, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that other mountain. As no, 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 no. Uh, do you know what I was? Is, uh, is is Toyota GT86? I was talking to Johnny Morlam only last night um, about it, and you know, both of us said, "Do you know what? That makes a lot of sense." And it's something that we both said, we need to go and do that. Um, you're off this weekend for a bit of an away day uh, to oh, Asian Le Mans. I am indeed uh, off uh, to Zuhai for the opening round of the 2016-17 Asian Le Mans series. A cracking 30-car entry for mm. the first round with uh, a mix of Asian-based and European teams. Um, great Is this work. the big year? 
I mean, we've been seeing for a while, this is the big year, this is the big year, but it does seem now to have caught the imagination and got the momentum that we have hoped might have... The spark's been there for a while. It, it hasn't really burst into flame. There's been, the kindling has been glowing, but we, we haven't been able to throw the bigger bits of wood on it. Is, is this the year we do that and it catches fire? Uh, well, where they need help is LMP2. There are four cars in LMP2. I don't think we've got a lot more to come there. LMP3 looks great, approaching kind of double figures and with excellent variety as well. We've got Adesse, Janetta, and uh, Ligier Chassis in that. We've got uh, a one-off CN car, but a great GT field. GT3 spec cars, of course, mm-hmm. uh, with multiple uh, teams, multiple marks, multiple. The first time we've seen a Bentley, by the way, in ACO rules competition since 2003. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's there's great variety there. 30 cars, more to come, by the way. Uh, so that we'll see uh, probably 33 for Fuji in early December. And I think we'll maintain that for the remainder of the season before next season where you will see a five race Asia Le Mans series uh, calendar I'm absolutely certain can I, just also, put it, John, can I just put it out there why doesn't the Asian Le Mans series first round coincide with Fuji and WEC as the ELMS does with Silverstone and the WEC well of course it did last year uh, but I think a lot of the teams felt that was a little early. Whether or not they change that, I don't know, John. I, I, I genuinely don't know. I think what, what they're trying to do is to build something. They're working with a major Chinese uh, media partner. I suspect we're going to see more coming from them. They're certainly trying to get something together for live streaming for the races. Whether or not that's in time for Suhai, I, I strongly doubt but uh, we've got what we've got, John, is a team that's hungry. We've got a team of people that really want to make this a success. It's exactly what I was talking about to do with the GT3 Le Mans Cup. Some lessons to be learned here about customer care. They care about the customers. The customers love it. All the customers, more or less, are coming back from last year. They've built up more through what has been widely criticised, but actually wrongly criticised, Asia Le Mans Sprint Cup. Mm. 10, 11, 12 cars. That's fine if you can convert seven, eight, or nine of them to full-season entrants, which is exactly what they did. Yeah. And they did it by showing them what's available, by talking to them, by working with them. And I think what, what we're, we're going to break into this year is growth and stability. And I think we can certainly say, on the evidence of what we've seen so far, that series has arrived on the regional and world scene. And give it a year or so, and it's going to be something we're going to have to take serious um, you know, serious, pay serious attention to because we are going to start to see, I'm sure, teams and drivers in pretty large numbers coming through and breaking through onto the world scene. Graham, thanks very much. Enjoy your weekend, mate. Fairly envious of you. Looking forward to it, John. Thanks a lot. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. Okay, I'll, I'll buy that for a dollar. Well, you submitted this. I think it's less of a pointless press release and more of a team um, admitting that they're cheating. <laughs> oh, hey, <laughs> excellent. Oh dear. All right. Go on. The lad didn't quite read it like that. But Aston Martin Racing has become carbon neutral after signing Brazilian energy company Odebrecht Agricult- Agroindustrial as its official su- sustainability partner. Excellent. So Lo- uh, uh, lots of buzzwords there. Lots of buzzwords. Yeah. Well, AMR, yeah, I mean, 
issued 808.78 tonnes of CO2 during the 2015 season. In comparison, Odebrecht Agro Industrial issued 870,189.91 tonnes of CO2 during the uh, 2015-16 crop, but also captured 1,348,901.71 tonnes of CO2 in its operations. Using the company's positive CO2 balance, Odebrecht Agro Industrial will offset the emissions of the British race team during the 2017 FIA World Endurance Championship. So, oh, sorry. Oh, so Aston Martin aren't actually being carbon neutral, they're just buying some of the uh, offset. It's that's already happening. Exactly. So, if Aston Martin hadn't done this deal, Odebrecht uh, Agro-Industrial would still have captured one million three hundred forty-eight thousand nine hundred one point seven one tons. That was why I thought it was a bit pointless. They'd be in profit. They'd be showing a profit of carbon. That's why I thought it was a bit pointless, yes. because that, that's like saying... Um, I, uh, I've <laughs> signed up... I've signed up with someone who has saved a whole load of water no, by yes. not doing something. I, I've decided to part. But I've still drank all decide, the same amount of I've water. I've decided to part with Barry, who's lost forty pounds. He only needs to lose twenty-eight pounds to meet his target weight, so I've got twelve of them. Exactly. Yes, that's very good. That's very good. <laughs> yes. Uh, so my submission is this. Go on. Um, are you carbon neutral, Tim? With eight suggestions, sorry, with eight yeah. seasons under its belt and over 80 mm-hmm. cars racing in three continental championships, the Lamborghini Blanc Pan Super Trofeo is the most successful one-make series in the world. Discuss. Uh, no. How, say that again? Which series? The is Lamborghini Blanc Pan Super Trofeo is the most successful one-make series in the world. No. No. What? what? On, on what level would you I say? I can't think of any level. Or radicals, which... or even Janettas. No, no, I, if they'd said it's the most powerful one-make series in the world... Is it? 620 horsepower. Oh, I'm sure something more powerful running around in brisker stock cars. Yeah, but not one-make series, supported uh, by a manufacturer. Mm. I think it's possibly th- it's probably the most powerful... Definitely uh, not Italian, the most successful, though. No. I- Italian OEM GT series. <laughs> I would say the most successful would be the Caterham series. Porsche? Uh, th- there's more Porsches. Oh, Super Cup, yeah. There's yeah, Super Cup and National Cups, yeah. GT3s, yeah. Mazda MX-5. Mazda, more yeah. Mazdas race any weekend in the States than any other car. And the then more I think I'd have to go Porsche, I think. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. But that's at a certain level. You go into club level, as John says, and you get things. You do get an awful lot of caterings racing and an awful lot of masters. So the number. It'd be really interesting if you, just, if you took a, a weekend's hobby, you know, a week, and, uh, a month, and you said, right, what, who, which manufacturer has the most individual cars racing with different drivers in them in different events, going down to anything that's sanctioned by an official racing body in in, in the country. Yes. Um, it probably wouldn't be Porsche. It probably would be something like an MX-5. It might, you know, many years ago, it would have been a Mini, probably. Uh, you mentioned the Bathurst Six Hours briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a race next Easter, which will have an yeah. MG in it. Yeah, it will. Yes. Really? Yes. Brock Race Go Engineering uh, are going to be racing MG Sixes in Australia next season, not just the Bathurst Six hu- Six Hours, but also the Winton Three Hundred. Are they in any way related to the BCCC cars? No, because uh, in Australia they're going to be Group E cars. Yeah. Groupy cars, but they're going to hang around the other cars and try and go for them. That's exactly <laughs> what they're going to do. Uh, quick 
Um, bit of congratulations to Adam mm-hmm. Smalley. Whoever he is, well done. Uh, he's a 15-year-old from uh, Paulson Lafide, uh, who has just won the... British Karting Championship? Janessa Junior Scholarship. Oh. Okay. Right. After three days at... Uh, um, where were they? Blyton? Somewhere like that? That um, would be Blyton, I think, yes. We were going What's to do work? quite a lot of NASCAR um, but they tonight. Were we? Um, but they weren't trying, should we? The yeah, only that was one a funny race, wasn't it? Yeah. The only bit I'm trying to, to talk one. about is not the race or who was right. eliminated, uh, okay. but mm-hmm. um, some changes to the rules for 2017. Okay. Um, starting next season... Is there a list of people who have to qualify for the race, for the chase, for the cup, for the quest, right, for the food? people. Premier Series drivers with more than five <laughs> years of full-time experience we will go. be eligible to compete in a maximum of ten races in the Xfinity Series and seven races in the Camping World Truck Series. Now, this is a further step. Remember seven or eight years ago... Um, when we were talking about the bushwhackers and NASCAR acted on that yep. by saying yep. you can only score points in one championship. Mm-hmm. Well, now they've gone a step further uh, because uh, obviously all the cup drivers were still racing in the other championships and just not scoring points, uh, but taking seats no. away from um, young drivers. So now they've restricted the number of races, or from next season they'll restrict the number of races that they're allowed to do. And uh, none of those races can be within the championships' respective chases. Clear as mud. So uh, you've been there for two years. Encourage young drivers. Is it, or is he just going to encourage some of those perennial forty-five-year-old boys, good old boys, to come in and do some Xfinity racing? What it will stop? Well, no, they have to be full-time cups uh, drivers. It'll stop right. people um, running in all three races every weekend so that's bad news for Kyle Busch then not naming any names at all uh, we'll try and do some the more NASCAR the bushwhacker <laughs> it's whacking the bush <laughs> we'll try and do some more NASCAR next week not a finally uh-huh. is there last week next this. week no ooh maybe I'm not maybe okay. I'm going to play you that Do you recognise this? Sounds like someone with a very bad stomach problem. It's the start of Meat Love. Hell. It's not Battle of hell. hell. No, the other one. Do anything for oh, you, yeah, but I won't do, do that. that. I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. Do that, yeah. yeah. This was number one in the UK. Turn it off now. In the uh, third, oh. third week of November 1993. Right. right. And why is the third week of November 1993 significant? Um, I don't know. It's uh, the year that Nigel Mansell won the World Championship. Is that significant about that he did it? That's actually the last time Nigel Mansell won a championship, isn't it? No. no he won an IndyCar the following won year. Won an IndyCar the following year, yeah. Um, up until last weekend, mm-hmm. there was a racing driver who hadn't won anything since the third week of November 1993. Really? Someone hasn't won a race in 23 years? Wasn't, wasn't, hasn't won a championship in 23 years. Okay, you're going to have to help us out with this one massively. Well, is it, look, is it, look is at where people famous? won championships last weekend. 
Um, ELMS? ELMS. Who was it? Who won? Well, it depends which championship. I'll tell you, it was Darren Turner. Really? Darren Turner's not won in 1993. The last championship he won was the Formula First Winter Series in 1993. Uh, Darren wasn't a part of that car all season, though, was he? He still gets to get the championship, apparently. Really? Yes. Sounds an old way of doing it. See, that was what was throwing me out there. I don't... Mm, was he in that car all year? Somebody will tell me. Um, it was. It was, as we were speaking there, it was... The most extraordinary of wins. Tom Ferrier, uh, racing, TF Racing, what? They've only been in existence, what, three years? Three seasons now? Um, and they've got a Le Mans entry for next year. Um, I've got a car. And Richard Dean's <laughs> coming back to racing. And as somebody has just tweeted, uh, Audi uh, have quipped uh, WEC in Le Mans. Button, Massa and Weber have all finished in Formula One uh, and in racing. And Porsche are moving the engine forward in the 911. Hashtag, the end is nigh. <laughs> and on that bombshell, thank you for your tweets tonight. And we'll, I'm sure we'll follow this up. By the way, we did ask the WEC for a comment. They released a statement, which I'm sure you've all seen, and we've referred to that. But Gerard Navarre was travelling today, so couldn't speak to us. We'll try and get something more solid from both Audi and the WEC and the ACO in the coming weeks. Um, thank you for your tweets on that tonight. Let's just take a moment this evening to think back to our favourite Audi moments and to what Audi have put into the sport over the last few years. Financially, in terms of a huge amount of money, in entertainment terms, how they've changed the face of sports car racing and how things like Truth in 24 changed the way people look at our sport and indeed probably changed the way that sporting documentaries have been made. Things like Senna and One would never have been made without Truth in 24 coming along first. We've got a lot to thank Audi for and I think it's that that we should be celebrating this evening. Uh, that's it from us. Back at the same time next week. Thanks for your company. Tim Gray was our executive producer. Uh, Eve Hewitt, our responsible adult. Uh, on behalf of everyone who's been part of the programme tonight, thank you very much indeed. And there's no time to explain because the llama, well, has gone into an 18-year depression. <laughs> this programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.